this whole entire book is about Jesus. And it's remarkable that his name is not found until the New Testament. And hopefully whether you are learning a little bit more, like maybe you're just discovering who God is, or maybe you've just come to faith, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, hopefully in this series you will really see the brilliance in the author of the Bible. Because this Bible, called Holy, which means set apart, is set apart from any other book. Because this is written by God. And so that we can approach this book knowing that God is all about truth, that we can trust in this, that we can rely on God's word, that God remains faithful in his word, and just as he does, he remains faithful in all his promises. But just like a good movie, you know, I'll watch a movie, and, you know, I love a movie that engages really quick, and then what it starts to do is it starts to foreshadow some events in the movie that you're trying to figure out details. I like to try to figure it out. So if you ever watch a movie with me, I might start talking and like my wife gets tired of me talking and asking questions about it. But you're trying to figure out the details and that's called foreshadowing. It's giving you a picture of the future of what's going to happen in that movie. And by the end, it all comes together and it all makes sense. Well, that's a great example of this book, the Bible. That it, it, it shares some details up front. It starts to foreshadow and that's really what we're going to be looking at today. And by the end of it, it all comes together and makes sense. And if you weren't here, last week we talked about the, the priest like Melchizedek. And mysteriously in Genesis 14, he just appears. And there's really not a whole lot of information about him until Psalm 110, it communicates details about, okay, ah, I get it. He's foreshadowing Jesus, like Jesus is coming like the high priest, and it starts to, the puzzle starts to come together. And if you've missed any of our sermons, know that you can go to the website, you can click on resources. We put the, the online message, which is a video message, up there every week, along with all the podcasts at all the locations. So even though you miss a day here at West Haven Campus, know that you can get on there, usually by Sunday night, click on it and listen to that, that um, sermon. And today, week three, we're going to be looking at Jesus, the son on the altar. So in Genesis 22, if you have a Bible, you can open it up there. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. Now we're going to be looking in Genesis and in other verses, Isaiah and the New Testament as well. But really, what this story is about, this is the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. So if you're not familiar with it, God comes to Abraham, and he says, go sacrifice your son, your one and only son, Isaac. And I can remember when I first came to faith, and I'm reading through this, the very first time I was very confused. So I'm not sure I had a Bible that gave you a little bit of the subtext that, like, Abraham's being tested here or anything like that. And I can just remember going, wow, what kind of, what a strange request by God. Now, as I started to become more and more familiar with God's word, I, I learned over time that God really, his purpose in this was never for Abraham to sacrifice his son. So spoiler, that does not happen. But it was more about testing Abraham's faith. And so what we're going to see here is this foreshadowing. I want us to, be, uh, to understand in, G in Genesis 22, it provides one of the most powerful types of Christ. So here's what a type of Christ is in the Bible, a foreshadowing of the work of Jesus. And so Isaac in this story is a type of Christ because he is foreshadowing Jesus Christ going to the cross and dying for our sins. And it's masterfully written how God is using these details early in Genesis 
And it's not till the New Testament where Jesus fulfills this, but what God's word is starting to do is he's starting to introduce this topic to us. And we can learn a lot about Isaac and his relationship with his father Abraham with Jesus and Father God. And so it's really awesome to see how this all fits together. We're going to be looking at five shocking ways that this passage connects to the work of Christ on the cross. So here's our first connection. Connection number one, Isaac and Jesus were one and only sons born by the power and will of God. So let's let scripture unfold this for us. In Genesis 22, here's the story. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So let's just put ourselves in Abraham's position really quick. God comes to him, says, go and take your one and only son. Now, it'd be one thing, but if you understand the details, and we're going to explain more of this in the next, in some verses coming up, but Abraham had to wait a long time for this son, and now he's here, And now God is asking him to take him to Mount Moriah and go sacrifice him, his one and only son. Like, I mean, just put your, as a father, I put myself in that position and I'm just like, wow, what a challenge. What a challenge. And that's what Abraham is known for is this incredible faith in God to be able able to, to obey and submit to God and to start this journey of what God is asking him to do. But I don't want to minimize that this is his one and only son. Now we put this passage, Genesis 22, next to one of the most famous and all, one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So already in the story, just by the communicating about one son, we're starting to see the connection of how Isaac is connected to Jesus. Now we're going to move on. Genesis 18 Now we're going to look at how they are both by the power and will of God. They're birds. God says, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah laughed silently to herself and said, listen to her tone, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. And then listen to the tone of God here. Then the Lord said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So Sarah, she's she's approaching 90s. Abraham's about 100. And basically, as she silently laughs to herself, she says, my birth-giving days are over. I am way past that. But here's something I don't want to miss up front. God speaking, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. So God is laying out this plan, and it's not optional. Meaning if it is God's plan and God's will, it will happen. And you see that Sarah and Abraham are much too old to have children. So already in here in Genesis 18, we see that Isaac's birth, is a miraculous birth. It's because of the power and will of God. Now put that next to Luke. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus 
Mary asked the angel, listen to her tone, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, here's unfolding God's plan. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. So now Mary doesn't understand how this is going to happen. And so she explains that. And now God reveals the plan. Jesus is a miraculous birth from the Virgin Mary because it's by the power of God and God's will that Jesus is born from Mary. And so there's the first connection that we need to understand. They were one and only sons, and both Isaac and Jesus were born by the power and the will of God. Connection number two. This one's a little simpler. This one will move through a little bit quicker. The sons carried wood on their backs as they marched toward their death. Again, we're going to have a lot of scripture explaining this to us. Genesis 22, verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. Put Genesis 22 next to John 19. Now let's look at Jesus. Carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called Place of the Skull in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. And so you might be thinking, well, this is a little bit of stretch. They, God told Abraham to go and build an altar, and he needed some, some supplies, and Abraham was a smart man, and maybe he just had Isaac carrying them rather than Abraham carrying them. But here's what's important to understand. 400 years before Jesus went and died on the cross, there was a Jewish rabbi, and he was reading through Genesis 22, years before Jesus carried his cross. And he says, this sounds a lot like, as he's reading about Isaac, he sounds, this sounds a lot like Roman crucifixion. Because in Roman crucifixion, they would make the, the person who was being put to death carry their own wood. It was part of the torture and the torment that they would put this person through. And they had to carry their own wood, their own cross, to their place of execution. And a rabbi, Jewish rabbi, recognized in the story of Isaac with Abraham that this is, there is a connection here. And we see that Isaac is foreshadowing. Not only is his birth connected to Jesus, when Abraham was tested through his faith, by his faith, also now carrying this wood to the altar that Abraham was going to build is also the second connection that connects this foreshadowing to Jesus, how Jesus died and went and died on the cross for our sins. So that's connection number two. Here's connection number three. The sons obeyed their fathers in quiet determination. I love this point. So I was a son, but I'm going to approach this point as a father. How nice would it be, fathers, mothers, you can join in on this too, if you told your son to go clean their bedroom and they went with quiet determination, without any fuss, and they cleaned their bedrooms. Sorry, kids, I had to pick on you for just a little bit. Remember, I was a son, I was there, but now I was a father raising three sons. Wow, this is really attractive. But here's what we're going to see. We're going to see this connection of quiet determination from Isaac and Jesus. We'll start with Isaac. So Isaac says, Father, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? So Isaac's no dummy. He's, he's, he's maybe trying to think through, wait a minute. We have the wood, we have the fire, we have the knife, but we don't have the sheep. 
Don't forget about that. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. Now put Genesis 22, and we'll come back to this, next to Matthew 26, 39. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And so let's, let's talk about Jesus. And three times he goes to the Father with this request. So here's what, here, here's what we know. If it is possible, let this cup of suffering. So he's experiencing this great suffering. Going and paying for the sins of the world. There was nothing easy about this. And here Jesus is starting to feel the anguish of what that is starting to do. To take upon all of the sin of the world. I mean, if you just think about that, that's what Jesus did for us. He took all the sin of the world upon his own shoulders. And there was suffering and torment and anguish that was connected to that. But how does he end? Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Father, it will be your will. There's a submissive part of surrendering this to the Father. And I love here, back to Genesis, and it says, and they both walked on together. Abraham and Isaac went on. Now, here's what you need to know about Isaac. There's a point. There's not a whole lot mentioned from Isaac again, but we do know that Abraham gets to the point, again, he does not sacrifice his son, puts Isaac on the altar So Isaac knew. I mean, he's putting things together at this point. He's starting to understand, even though Scripture doesn't share us a lot about this. But I love this. As they both walked on together, there was this submissive part about Isaac, about quiet determination, allowing God's will to be done here in obeying his father in the process. And we connect that now to Jesus. As Jesus goes, you see that these these boys are starting to trust in their father, Trust in their father's plans with this quiet determination. We go on in Isaiah. This is a prophecy to Jesus. And I'm not sure that the hearers or the readers at this time would really truly be able to understand this. But it says, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Talking about Jesus. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. Now, if you know the whole story of how Jesus went and died on the cross, that prophecy is incredible that he was unjustly condemned. He was innocent, but he was led to the slaughter. Now, connect that to what actually happened, and you see the connection of prophecy defending Scripture and what Jesus did here in Matthew 27, but when the leading priests and their elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't hear all these, don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded, but you, Jesus, made no response to any of these charges. And so now you see how Matthew 27 is connected to the prophecy in Isaiah 700 years before Jesus went to the cross and how they are connected that Jesus was silent and was led to the slaughter. So that's our, our third connection, that Isaac and Jesus both had a silent determination as they obeyed their, their fathers. Here's connection number four. The fathers envision resurrection on the way to the altar. 
Now, you might be thinking, well, how did Abraham think of resurrection as God came to him with this command to go and sacrifice his son? Well, let's let Scripture in Hebrews in the New Testament, let's let Scripture share that with us. In Hebrews 11, it says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. That's that faith part again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So here we see Abraham with this strong faith saying, okay, God, I'm going to take my son to the altar. He didn't have any of the knowledge other than the request that God gave him, but he had this strong faith. He knew that Isaac's birth was from God, and if his life was taken, God had the power to bring him, to bring him back. God had the power to resurrect him. Now let's look at Jesus. In Isaiah, there's Hebrews 11. Here's Isaiah 53. Again, the prophecy, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We have it underlined here on the slide. This is in reference to the resurrection, that he will see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. You know, this is really the, the good news of the Bible, the resurrection. So I want to encourage you guys, you know, but Good Friday is an opportunity to come together and really understand the sacrifice that God made for us, to, to reflect and to, to, to really put ourselves in just appreciation of all the details of the anguish and the suffering that Jesus did. But on that Friday, Jesus died, and at that moment, Satan thought possibly that he had victory. But see, Jesus didn't remain dead. Three days later, he rose again. And that is the hope of the gospel because at that moment, if we go back to Genesis 3, in the very first book of the Bible in chapter 3, where it says that Satan will strike at Jesus' heel, but Jesus will crush his head. It's talking about this prophecy here in, in Isaiah. That is when Jesus resurrected. And the moment that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected, he defeated sin, he defeated death, and he defeated the grave, and that means he defeated Satan. And that is the hope of the gospel. And if you've never really heard that before, responded to that, we're going to have an opportunity after the message here today to be able to do that together. But it is an incredible story of how, in Hebrews, Abraham the father of Isaac is thinking about resurrection and God the father, his plan in sending his son to die for the sins of the world is all rooted in the resurrection. And there's one last connection here. It's connection number five. God provided the substitute. So let's look at this scripture. Genesis 22 says, then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So let me stop right there. So at this stage, Isaac is on the altar. Abraham has the knife. He is about to take his son's life when God says, wait, Abraham, stop. Abraham, you've passed the test. What incredible faith Abraham had. But God spared him. And so then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. 
So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. So here's what's happening now in the story. Up to this point, Isaac has been the type of Christ, foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do on the cross as he gives his life for our sins. Now, the ram is a type of Christ. Now the ram is put to death as a burnt offering in this story. So God spares Abraham and says, you don't have to take your life, your voice, your son's life. And instead provided a ram. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So remember, Isaac is walking side by side with his father, and he recognizes they're missing something. And he says, Dad, Father, where's the sheep? And Abraham's response then was, don't worry, the Lord will provide. And that's exactly what happens in Genesis 22, that the ram becomes the substitute for Isaac. First Peter, now let's look at Jesus. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds we are healed. Once you were like a sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. There's one important difference here as we talk about the substitute. On the left, God provided a ram to spare Isaac. On the right, 1 Peter, we see Jesus. This is so important for us to understand. Jesus is the substitute. Meaning through the, the time leading up to the cross, at no time did the Father say, you know what, time out. I'm going to spare you, Jesus. I'm going to provide this lamb to be sacrificed. That's what happened in Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac. But what First Peter is communicating here, that Jesus is the substitute, and he's our substitute. So we all deserve, here's what we all deserve. We all deserve to go to the cross and pay for our sins. But Jesus spared us. Like God spared Isaac, Jesus spared us and said, no. Jesus goes and takes our place. It is, it is the most incredible love story that ever existed. This book is a love story. The main character is Jesus and you. This book is a love story saying how much God loves us. He just doesn't say it. He put that into action. Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins and for my sins. He spared us. He says, let me, Jared, let me, let me take your place. And the Bible says that we can respond to this message. We can receive this gift of salvation that Jesus offers us by placing our faith and trust in him. Just like I mentioned with Sarah that this was God's plan, a child to be born to her and Abraham. And if it's a part of God's plan and it's his will, it will happen. It will be done. The plan for salvation is right here. It is written. This is God's plan. He sent Jesus into this world. He was unjustly condemned. 
Jesus went to the cross for you and gave his life. That's God's plan. You can trust in that. You can trust in God's plans. You can trust in the faithfulness of God's promises. And what Romans says, if you put your faith and trust, meaning if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart this message of what Jesus did on the cross, if you have the right information and the right heart attitude of turning to God and say, yes, God, I'm going to receive your gift of salvation. I'm going to surrender my life to you. It says you will be saved. You will be saved from the consequences of your sin. And I just want to say, if you have not yet made that response, I want to invite you to do that today. I was in your shoes 25 years ago. 25 years ago, as a part of a service just like this, and we met in a, a gym in Marietta, California. I was looking down at the basketball court. It was awesome that we were in a rental. We were saving up money to, to buy a location like this where we could call it home for years to come. And I remember the pastor said, if you have never made that response, now he preaches the gospel just like here at Alpine. Every Sunday, it's, the gospel is that important because the gospel has power and it changes lives. He says, if you've never made that response, I'm going to invite you to do that today. And I can remember, I finally got to a point, and I've wanted to for weeks and weeks and months. And I finally had a, a moment of surrender. I said, yes, Jesus, that's, I need you. I need you. Well, so far in my life, I was going down my path. I was in control, and it was leading to destruction. And I surrendered my life to Jesus, and I said, thank you, Jesus. And I said a prayer, just like I'm about to lead for you. And if you have not made this response, I'm going to invite you to say this same prayer. It's, it's, it's the most important decision you can ever make in life. Because we've give, been given this life on earth, but this is just a small little snapshot of God's plans for us. God's plans for us is about eternity. It's about eternity and just this life on earth is just a snapshot. And unfortunately, Luke, it says so many people are going to reject the gospel. And I don't want that for any of us. God loves you too much and he did all the work. God made it very simple, but it's challenging for us to come to a place of surrender. If you are that, I don't know what barriers that you have keeping you from surrendering your life to Jesus. But I want to encourage you to just allow those barriers because Jesus took care of all those barriers on the cross he tore down all those barriers on the cross. And for you to just have a heart of response and love saying, yes, I'm trusting in you, Jesus. This is your plan. And I want to spend eternity with you, Jesus. Would you please bow and pray? And if you have not made that response, please repeat this just in your seat where you sit right now. You can say these words to yourself. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of salvation. I recognize that I'm not perfect. I recognize that I am a sinner. And I recognize that you went to the cross and gave your life for me, that you nailed all of my shortcomings, all of my sin, all of my faults on that cross. And Jesus, because you rose again, I receive the gift of salvation, Lord. Thank you for this free gift. And I surrender my life to you. Amen.